What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Faithfully Deconstructing Podcast. Today's going to be a little bit different because rather than one larger topic, I'm going to split it up into a couple main topics. Also, later in the show, another change that's coming is I'm going to be giving my weekly trash preacher. I was doing it twice a month, but there's just so many to choose from that I'm going to start doing it every week. So without any further introduction, let's just get into it. My first topic today is going to be gendered clothing. Deuteronomy 22.5 states, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Alright, so first off, Deuteronomy is a book in the Old Testament, and it's part of the Old Law according to the Christian doctrine. And if I'm not mistaken, this would have been considered a ceremonial law, not a moral law. Because Deuteronomy 22.5 actually comes in the middle of a section of miscellaneous laws that don't seem to have much connection to each other. In fact, the verse right before it commands that people help the farm animals of their neighbors if they see one in distress. And the verse immediately after it says you're not allowed to kill a mother bird on a nest. You have to shoo her away and let her go free if you want the eggs. But unfortunately, you'll hear a lot of pastors use this verse against the transgender community. So you know what, let's just go ahead and point out the biggest problem with using this verse against the trans community or anyone who doesn't follow what we consider to be gender norms in this day and age. Clothing differs throughout time and culture. For example, in the Victorian era, it would have been common to see men wearing clothing that we'd now consider to be predominantly feminine. In fact, if we're going to bring up one of the biggest examples, high heels were actually designed for men. And you know if some of these preachers today saw a man in high heels, they'd absolutely lose their minds. But that would have nothing to do with the clothing and everything to do with the norms that we consider to be associated with modern society. There's really no way to apply this verse today because nothing is set in stone. In fact, when the verse was written, gendered clothing was very different from what we know today. So what about biblically, right? Is there any characters in the Bible who don't follow the law from Deuteronomy? Well, of course there is. Look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now the coat of many colors in this verse comes from a couple Hebrew words, and I am really hoping that I don't butcher these. Ketonit Passam. These Hebrew words are also translated in another verse, 2 Samuel 13, 18 as the clothing that the virgin daughters of the king were wearing. So the same words are translated to mean both the garment worn by Joseph and the garments worn by a princess. So if you do happen to hear a preacher using that verse to condemn those who don't fit the gender norms of the time, just keep in mind they're using it to confirm their own prejudice, not because it's applicable in a biblical sense. And honestly, I don't have a lot more to add to that, so I'm going to transition into my second main topic, the deconstruction movement. Now look, deconstruction is a very personal thing for most people, and it can honestly be a really stressful journey. I mean, we're talking about questioning everything that you believed in the past, and making big life-changing decisions about what you will believe moving forward. There's honestly no right or wrong way to do it. But unfortunately, as with any sort of personal experience, people will try to use it to form like groups or cliques by naming it a movement. My thoughts on this were actually sparked by a video I saw on TikTok by a man named David Hayward. It was the first time I ran across him, but I absolutely love the video. He talked a bit about people looking at deconstruction as though it's a movement with hoops to jump through and like rules to follow. People are forming groups and actively attempting to put a certain process or like belief system forward is the proper way to deconstruct. And just to be clear, you don't have to believe any certain way to deconstruct old beliefs. You don't have to be an atheist. 
You don't have to be an agnostic. You don't have to be a Satanist. You don't have to be anything. There is no right or wrong way to deconstruct. In fact, the entire point is just simply that you're questioning beliefs that you previously held. If anyone ever tells you that you aren't really deconstructing because you don't believe the way they believe, and unfortunately that does happen, you need to learn to recognize that as the same toxic behavior that a lot of us walked away from the church for. And always be on the lookout for those who might seek to profit off of deconstruction as well in the same way that we see Christians profit off of their religion. At the end of the day, most people don't just wake up and decide to deconstruct or decide to become a card-carrying member of some movement. It happens over time as an individual begins to think critically about everything they believed up to that point. Now, does that mean it can't be triggered by something? Of course not. In fact, oftentimes there is a trigger, although it's not often one event in particular, it's usually a series of things. Just as an example, my deconstruction was triggered by thinking back to years of abuse and remembering some of the awful things that happened in the church growing up. It's also been triggered by mainstream Christians and Christian nationalists, the rise of Christian nationalism. And no, Christian nationalism is not a new thing. I know it seems like it is because we're talking a lot more about it, but like with anything else, you know, the longer time goes on, the more televised things become. But it's definitely not a new thing. Also, just a little side note that goes for deconstruction as well. I know we've heard about that as well a lot in the last few years, but deconstruction is also not new. The idea of deconstructing old beliefs is absolutely not a new thing. I mean, mine's been going on for years now at a fairly slow pace. But you know, I ran across a video on TikTok by a pastor, and I think it's a great example of something I'd like to bring up, so I'm going to roll it first, and then I'm going to talk about it afterwards. I've observed that most people who claim to be deconstructing their faith are really just getting wrapped up in a progressive political movement. I think I would be able to respect you a little more if you would say something like this. I have now embraced secular moral values, and I'm using those secular moral values to judge the biblical ones that I grew up with. So I'm not actually deconstructing biblical values. I'm just rearranging them into a framework of progressive secular values that ultimately have no justification as to why they are inherently moral in the first place. If you're going to say that the biblical values that you grew up with are wrong, you need to have an objective standard by which to judge those values as wrong. And the progressive movement does not have objective moral values to do that with. So I have a challenge for those who are now claiming to be part of the deconstruction movement. Will you be consistent enough to deconstruct what people are calling deconstruction and find that at the bottom of it, there's nothing objectively truthful or moral that can be used to judge any other worldview in the world. Now you can hear in the video how he tried to use the term deconstruction to attempt to demonize people attempting it and basically lump everybody into a group and apparently a political movement as well. Let's be clear, deconstruction, not a political movement. I mean, honestly, if we're going to talk about people following a political movement, um, evangelical Christianity, anyone? Talk about just speaking hypocrisy. But look, in the video, he attempts to delegitimize the experiences of those who are deconstructing by saying they are simply following a progressive movement. And again, you know, there's that word movement. Christians like him want to lump everybody into a movement because it makes it easier for them to preach against it. I mean, it's hard to preach against something that's not organized and is simply individual people questioning previously held beliefs. And also, I think they're a little scared that they might want to question their own beliefs. 
I mean, he attempts to say that people aren't genuinely deconstructing, they're just simply trying to make their morals fit their new secular beliefs. But this is actually kind of a deceptive tactic. He's using this to try and guilt people who are deconstructing into rejoining the fold, essentially. It's honestly sad and it's honestly disgusting. And he's also attempting to bring in the argument that you can't have morals without the Bible. He does this by saying the progressive movement doesn't have an objective moral value to judge things on. I mean, it's the same argument we've heard before, it's just said in a little bit of a softer, more deceptive way. And his challenge at the end means nothing because, again, it's not a movement as he'd like it to be. Now, honestly, I had considered him for my Trash Preacher of the Week segment, now that it is a weekly segment, of course. But I have another candidate that really put himself in the lead, and it's our old friend Jonathan Shelley. And with that terrible transition out of the way, let's roll the clip. Section of chapter 3 that's a little bit difficult to be understood, but it says in verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 1 is talking about the importance of a wife submitting to her husband when he does not deserve it, when he's not doing right, when he's not right with God. I mean, notice what it very clearly says, if any obey not the word. So it's, a, it's basically insinuating that even if your husband's a scumbag, even if he's not right with God, even if he's backslidden, even if he doesn't deserve it, a wife is still supposed to submit herself unto her husband because that's simply what God has ordained. That's what God has decreed, is that you still submit to your authority no matter how good your authority is. It could be frustrating as well for a husband who is going to be naturally stronger, naturally more able to resist evil, naturally not as mentally weak, to endure hardship, whereas a wife is a lot more sensitive, a wife is a lot more emotional, and so according to the Bible though, as a husband, you're not supposed to be frustrated with her or to look down upon her or treat her poorly due to her insecurities, weaknesses, problems, or whatever. So kind of in a similar boat, is it really fair that a man can handle things and a man's strong and a man doesn't have these problems, but he basically has to condescend to his wife and, and, and basically lower himself or deal with problems or have to come down to her level in certain areas. Is that really fair? No. Honestly, where do I even begin with this one? I mean, talk about having no respect for women by basically implying that women should stay in an abusive relationship because it's what God wants. I mean, in his own words, even if your husband is a scumbag, you need to submit to him. I don't even need to put words in his mouth. He just comes right out and says it. And then he digs an even deeper hole. He implies that men are naturally stronger in the way that they can resist evil and are not as mentally weak as women. And then he implies that it's not fair for men that they have to lower themselves in order to deal with women's issues. I mean, his misogyny is honestly just firing on all cylinders at this point. And for those reasons, he is my Trash Preacher of the Week. Now, for my final regular segment, I want to explore one of my TikTok videos and add a little more context to it. I don't know if you guys realize this, but a lot of restaurants and fast food places are now asking for your name so you don't get it mixed up with somebody's order and so people will pay attention. It's a great opportunity to witness to other people. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to have uh, a two-pack with a Cinnabon Delights, please. Two-packs with a Cinnabon Delights? Anything else? Nope, that'll be it. That'll be it? For here to go? For here. Can I have your name? You can. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. 
Say it nice and loud. I want to make sure I hear it. I'm way in the back over there, okay? Right. All right. There you go. Be right up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, all you gotta do is sit back and let them witness for you. Pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's a true statement right there. That's a true statement. Thank you, guys. So, I'm sure at some point in your life you've had someone try to proselytize to you. And I always wonder if I'm saying that word correctly but it can come in a variety of forms. Probably the one that we usually think of is like the door-to-door -door variety, or maybe even the Christians on the street corner with like a sign and a megaphone. But usually the big similarity in these various methods is that they aren't consented to and they're usually pretty invasive. But I mean, this one is actually even a little bit beyond that. Not only is it a sad attempt to get attention, but you're also trying to use employees to proselytize for you. Look, anyone who's worked fast food knows how stressful it can be to deal with customers on a normal basis. And I can honestly attest to that. I worked KFC right out of high school. It's a horrible job. But when you have customers making absolutely ridiculous requests like this, it's even more of a burden. But all right, what about a biblical sense? Since he is proclaiming Jesus to be Lord, let's look at it from the perspective of his chosen religion, Christianity. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If we're looking at it from a biblical sense, this one verse alone destroys what he's trying to do. Of course he's doing this to be seen. I mean, a testimony to that is the fact that he's filming it and asking for it to be called loudly. But how about Proverbs chapter 27 verse 2? Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. He absolutely praises himself within this video, basically congratulating himself on coming up with this way to spread the gospel, despite the fact that this spreads nothing but his own name. This has the opposite effect he thinks it does as well. This isn't bringing anyone closer to his side. This sort of like arrogant, ridiculous display only serves to further push people away. I'm sorry, but no one in that Taco Bell had a spiritual awakening because he made a minimum wage employee yell out Jesus is Lord. At the end of the day, people aren't really looking at your words alone to determine what kind of person you are and to determine that what you follow is good. They're looking at your actions and your attitudes even more so. When you display this type of arrogance, entitlement, and just a general lack of understanding about the world around you, people aren't going to be interested in what you believe. All right, well, with that being said, I think I'm going to go ahead and transition on to the end here. I just want to thank everybody again for coming along on this ride, for being a part of this podcast, and I will see you guys next Thursday with another new episode. Thank you again. For